0: Hey friends, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and welcome to Episode 12 of the Trail Mix Podcast. We're talking racing again, this time with Jason Schultz, a producer at Dirty Mo Media, which is best described as Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast network. Jason and I reminisce on the beautiful era that was early to mid-2000s NASCAR racing and debate the top five seasons that should have deserved a championship, but ultimately did not end up with one. Let's drop the green flag and get going on episode 12 of the Trail Mix podcast. So Jason, thank you uh, for joining me on the podcast. So the first question I, I have for you is, um, when did you kind of start race or when did you start watching racing? So when did you start watching racing and what was
1: the first race that you remember watching? We'll go all the way back 2005. I was seven. I remember watching... I remember my dad was watching NASCAR and I just happened to be sitting on the couch watching one day. And that was the auto club speedway race, probably March maybe end of February, 2005. It's probably like the second race of the year. I remember Greg Biffle won and I'm watching that race and being fascinated apparently, because I think I watched every single NASCAR race from that point on probably till, you know, today. So yeah, that was probably February, 2005, way back then. What kind of grabbed you about the sport? Uh, from that first race when you were seven? Mm. I just think it was like the entertainment of it. And I'm like, I love sports. I love big sporting events. And I think the idea of NASCAR, like it being a competition, but entertaining and cars and going really fast and wrecking and like just the whole entertainment spectrum that comes with a race. I think it was those elements and the um, drama that comes with that too. That was really impactful and what caught my attention. So, You've uh, you've heard the podcast that I did uh,
0: with your buddy, Andrew Curlin. Mm-hmm. So you kind of know the story of how I got into the sport. Um, when I was three, I remember watching uh, a car go around at Watkins Glen doing a, a qualifying lap. Mm-hmm. And it was really bright red and it had flames. And it was Jeff Gordon. And ever mm-hmm. since then, I was a big Jeff Gordon fan. And uh, I followed him until the end of his career. I wonder if that day that Greg Biffle won, if he became your favorite driver,
1: who stood out (laughs) in the field? Yeah, that's interesting. It was not Greg Biffle, even though he did do very well that season. That would have been a good driver to pick. My dad liked Ryan Newman a lot. I think that was because Ryan had a lot of successful seasons around that time early in his career. He kind of tailed off by the time I started watching, but that was my guy. I cheered for Ryan Newman. He was really fast. I remember he won that New Hampshire race that fall 2005, and I was playing soccer. And I remember I had to leave early from watching the race, go play soccer. And like, you know, halfway through the game, my mom was like, Hey, Ryan Newman won the race. And I was like, Oh yeah, like hell yeah. Seven year old Jason on the soccer field was celebrating that, but he was my favorite met him a few times too, like really nice. And I don't know if there was anything about him specifically that made me cheer from just that my dad liked him and he seemed cool and seemed like a really good driver. So that's what kind of made me a fan of his. Did you kind of stick with Newman over the course of his career? Kind of like, I, he was always a guy that like always wanted to cheer for and do well, especially like when he won the Daytona 500 in 2008, that was huge. Like I was, he was like, he's my guy and he won the biggest race and it was kind of upset. It was really cool. So I stopped, like I've always fan of his, um, but then a driver named Kyle Bush started racing an M and M's car in number 18. And that 18 was my favorite number before even Kyle started racing that I don't know why and M and M's as a kid, you know, it's great. It's great. Treat. So I kind of became a cobbish fan um, probably as a little after he went to Joe Gibbs race. And of course he was being very successful. So that probably helped, but he was kind of the guy I kind of uh, steered into cheering for, for, you know, my early teen years. And yeah, so it was kind of the transition between those two, but always would want to see Newman do well still like even today, like he wins the race. That's a big deal. And it's really cool because he was the guy I cheered for when I was seven.
0: Right. I wonder uh, if you kind of, developed like me in terms of watching the sport where you kind of moved away from cheering from one driver and you just Mm. enjoy the racing overall because for me it's it's a lot less about jeff gordon and and chase Elliott. i I mean i followed that 2014 basically Mm. my entire life uh but for me i I just like watching the race Mm. overall and there's there's like five or six guys that i really like actively cheer for
1: yeah yeah, no, I probably stopped being like when I wanted to decide to want to work in the sport and do some media type work in the sport. I knew that was a come with it. stop cheering for specific guys. It was really easy. I really like I wasn't so invested like some people are with sports teams that are there. Like, I can't like I've always going to cheer for them, I'm always going to be a fan of them. I kind of transitioned out of that. I um, probably like 2012, 2013 and just started like watching the sport from, uh, you know, the Overall perspective and like wanting to cheer for the good stories and the drivers with personality to do well. And there's definitely like, I want, I like when different guys win, I don't like seeing the same guy win all the time. So I'm basically cheering for like what's best for the sport, what's most interesting. And especially it was cool to see Chase Sully win the championship this year because most popular driver, most popular guy in the sport win championship. They're like, that's huge for NASCAR. So that's a good story I was cheering for. That. of course all the guys in the championship four could have made for really cool stories on the championship, but he was definitely probably the biggest story the sport has seen as a champion in a while. So that was cool. So cheering for stuff like that. That's what I've kind of found myself doing recently. And ever since I kind of transitioned to working in the sport. So at what point did you
0: decide I'm going to work in NASCAR? I mean, at what point did it transition from
1: just being a fan to like, I could make a career out of this. Mm. So that was probably, it was social media played a big role in it. Probably around 2010, 2011, Twitter just became a thing and people were using it, especially in NASCAR. And I saw them integrating it on the broadcast too. Like, whoa, what is this Twitter thing? So I joined and followed a bunch of people in NASCAR, followed a bunch of people, reporters and broadcasters. I'm like, wow, it's so cool. They travel all the races and they're talking to all the drivers and the crews and that stuff. I'm like, it'd be so cool to be a media member covering the sport, working on the track, getting all this inside access behind the scenes stuff. So that was kind of what made me want to work in the sport. And social media probably was the only reason, like, of course, you would watch the race on TV, but I don't really want to be a TV reporter, but seeing what the people did that worked in the sport, PR reps, marketing reps on social media to promote the sport and how they do their job and what they have to do for the sport. I'm like, that was fascinating. So that was probably 2012. I remember tweeting a lot. I remember um, speed channel NASCAR on speed race day. They used to do a thing where they would, Um, have fans submit questions in for drivers to ask on race day and i think i had an eight week straight streak of getting my question asked on the show because it was like i was sending in creative different questions and there probably wasn't a lot of people sending questions in at a time because social media was still fairly new but like i was like oh i'm sending in these creative questions as a 13 14 year old and these media people think oh these are great questions i'm like oh like i think i could do something like i think this is something i could work out That is, I mean, that's an awesome story, especially because NASCAR has
0: really leaned into uh, the social media Mm. aspect. More than most sports, I almost feel like they were Mm. kind of one of the early adopters Mm. of social media in that era. I kind of think it goes back to uh, the 2012 Daytona 500 uh, when Brad Keselowski had his phone in the car. Mm. And of course, uh, this was a story that kind of transcended the sport. Mm. Juan Pablo Montoya, is out on the track. Uh, He's trying to get back up to speed to catch up to the field, which is slowed under yellow. Uh, A a piece breaks uh, in the rear end of the car and he slides into a jet dryer and Mm. jet dryer essentially explodes. um, And it becomes this whole story. And Brad had his phone in the car, takes a picture of it and tweets it. And it just remember it was like a night and day effect. NASCAR fans didn't know Twitter. And then it was like the next week at Phoenix, everybody knew what Twitter was.
1: Yeah, that was I remember watching that race. I was in eighth grade. Like, of course we're watching the race and then the Jedi incident happens. I'm like, oh no, they're really gonna finish the race. What's gonna happen? I was on I had been on Twitter the previous season, so like I was familiar with it. And then I don't remember exactly seeing Brad tweet that, but like I remember the how crazy Twitter went during that red flag. And that was really cool to see and how it was kind of a spark that kind of ignited NASCAR into that digital space, which was probably much needed and um, turned out to be pretty cool. I remember following Brad. Brad was like, he wasn't Brad yet. He was kind of up and coming guy. And I would follow him on Twitter and he did some contest to like get your name on his truck, but like, just like retweet this. And I'll put your name on my truck. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I got to like have that happened two days later, that incident happens and he's famous on Twitter now and it's blown up, but like that changed everything that for NASCAR and social media that day. So you and I are both uh, in
0: sports media and I, from what I've learned, and I'm sure um, you can concur with this, is mm. a lot of it is about who you know and, mm. and the friendships you make, the connections you make that get you in the door. So, kind of, who were the people that you met early on that have been really key um, to getting you where you are
1: today? Yeah, that's, that's a good, there's a lot of people. And I'll tell you, the first kind of professional opportunity I got in NASCAR, working social media, doing stuff. There's uh, this golf tournament that a lot of NASCAR drivers participate in every year before the Dover race weekend in Delaware, it's called the Drive for Autism. It's a charity golf tournament where a bunch of broadcasters and announcers and drivers and crew chiefs, everybody comes out to play around the golf, raise a lot of money for autism awareness in Delaware for Autism Delaware. So I remember I was uh, probably like I don't know, 14, 15, I was on vacation and I got a DM from Deanna Principe who runs the tournament. And she was like, hey, I love your social media content. You seem really good at it. Would you like to come to our golf tournament next year and cover the event? It's a private tournament. It's just, you know, a bunch of all these NASCAR personalities. So she gave me the keys to the social media accounts. And I got to go around and meet a bunch of drivers, capture content, ask them to share it, ask them to participate and stuff. So that was like my first big break in getting an opportunity to do something in NASCAR. And then I got to do that for the next three or four years. And ultimately led to doing more social media stuff at the racetrack that year, which was my first time getting to um, work at a track. So yeah, that was probably like my first big break. That's what kind of steered my career because of that opportunity. And then, so you find your way now you're
0: working for Dirty Mo Media, Hmm. uh, Dale Jr., Mike Davis, that whole crew. So tell me the story of how you transitioned from, you know, doing social media and and tweeting to ending up there.
1: Yeah. So I love podcasting, was a big podcasting fan, especially, I remember just like listening to Marty Smith and Ryan McGee had a podcast early, maybe early last decade, and it was about NASCAR and it was on ESPN. It was really cool. Love that podcast. I'm like, oh, this podcast thing is really cool. So I started doing some of my own kind of podcast type content probably around 2013, 2014. It's about the same time that Dirty Mom Media was growing and starting podcasts. And that was probably NASCAR's first to like big podcast in their scene. So I loved their work, followed their work a lot. And I was going to come to Charlotte, to UNC Charlotte, go to college, and I knew that I want to work in the sport and I well, I like to do podcasting, I like to do social media. I know that Dirty Mo Media and Dirty Mo Radio does that. So, and I know Mike Davis was a huge fan of his, followed everything that he did and the company did. So I got to meet him at Dover in 2016 and just kind of went up to him like, hey, Mike, just want to int- introduce myself. I'm Jason. I'm in high school right now. I'm about to go to UNC Charlotte to start school and study PR in the fall. Would love the opportunity to help Dirty Mo do podcasts. I've done podcast editing and producing before. If you ever had an opportunity, I totally game for it. Had a great like 20 minute conversation with him at the media center in Dover that day. And then ever since then, like the whole fall kind of kept up with him and kept talking to him. And then by the time the next season rolled around 2017, he had a few opportunities to edit a few of their podcasts and got in the door. Then did a lot of work helping them edit Podcast early on, and that grew to more podcasts and some more opportunities, and that kind of all rolled in. So from the time I started college to the time now, that was like building and working and learning and growing from them was kind of what brought me to getting this uh, full time job with them and doing all the stuff now. It seems like to me, Mike Davis. I can just tell from all the podcasts I watch
0: mm-hmm. and listen to. He just seems like a genuine guy. Yeah. It seems like the type of guy that you can walk mm-hmm. up to introduce yourself. Yeah. And 20 minutes later, you're still talking. Yeah. And I I, I want to ask like kind of, were you nervous walking up to him? And then at a certain point, like what was your strategy to go from just, Hey, I'm Jason to like, what can I do? Um, mm-hmm. In terms of just getting your foot in the door.
1: Yeah. I was totally nervous. I think I spent, it was like the Friday of race weekend. So it was like qualifying and practice and stuff. And at this time he was still like, he was a road manager for Dale that weekend. So he was busy and he's the managing the most popular driver in the field. So like, he's not like, he's just sitting around waiting for people to come up to talk to him. So I was nervous. I think I sat that whole day. And finally, I think there was a rain delay or something during qualifying. So everyone was just kind of hanging out in the media center so built up the courage to go up and introduce myself and had no idea where the conversation was going to lead. I just really wanted to say, introduce myself, say what I, um, that I love, Dirty Mo Radio, Dirty Mo Media. I love all the stuff they do. I think it's super entertaining. I think it's got so much potential to be this great content platform that could really evolve. And it has done that. And I was like, I do like, I'm about to go to school. You see Charlotte, I do some podcasting, like in the future, not thinking next year, but I'm like, anytime in the future, if you need someone to work, help work on that content, like I am I have the experience and I have the you know willingness to kind of like come in and try to learn and grow and develop with that kind of content. So that was kind of my plan. And the convert, he's just such a nice guy and was, you know, I'm a nobody. I'm an 18 year old high school senior at the time, like just right. walking up to him. And that's one thing like I don't think many 18 year old high school seniors would do that and so like being able to do that um, no matter where you are in your media career especially when we're younger like us trying to grow and develop and build a career I think having that kind of courage that you may get turned around they may say hey I don't have time to talk to you but or it could lead to your future job so it's like it's worth the risk and that's what kind of I came out I didn't think conversation really well, really enjoyed talking to him, but I had no idea what was going to lead to, but luckily it made a good impression and it really led to some big, big things in the, down the road. So
0: then, so you start working for Dirty Mo. Now you're working with, uh, well, you do a lot for them, but you're also mm. working with another show that they have, uh, which is like a spotter based show mm. called Door Bumper Clear, which is just, I feel like nobody, Gets that unless you're really just deep in the weeds of NASCAR fandom, where that is the phrase that TJ Majors uses to mm. clear the drivers. Yeah. So it's it's TJ, uh it's Clint Boyers, former spotter Brett Griffin. Like who's who's the third guy? And then Bubba Wallace spotter Freddie Kraft. Bubba Wallace spotter Freddie Kraft. So how did that kind of come about? Because that's a really entertaining podcast. Because yeah. those guys are those guys just go out there and they shoot the breeze for about an hour. And it's an extremely entertaining dynamic, especially
1: between Brett and TJ. Yeah, for sure. So that started in 2016. TJ was Dale Jr. spotter. He's now Joey Logano spotter. So he had, he worked at JRM and started that podcast with Brett. He was on the Dale Jr. download before Dale was on it back in its early days. So he had kind of had some experience doing that. So they started that show and it's basically an in- industry insider podcast. It's like these two guys, spotters that work at the track are, super tied into the industry know a lot that's going on a lot of rumors have a lot of unique perspectives from their spot as spotters are watching the whole race they've got a first-hand view of it so it's like their insight is crazy how great it is and how well-rounded it is and they have just so much to talk about and that's what they're paid to do is talk so it's like why not do a podcast like you're pretty good at that already so start they started that in 2016 i was a huge fan of it to start out like i listened to it every week was my favorite podcast entertaining too it's not just like racing talk it's like they are hilarious and say a lot of inappropriate things that just makes it funny and it's just like that's what people love to listen to i started working on it in the end of the 2017 season got the chance to start producing that and and then that grew into doing full-time producer in 2018 and then the last three years now which is crazy that it's been three whole years three seasons of doing it i've been producing that show and brought freddie craft on this year and this was before like Bubba blew up in the NASCAR scene. So that was really cool to bring him on full time. And he's been on the last couple of years too. And like Bubba is such a great personality for the sport and has so much, like just so many interesting things that I remember he wrecked Kyle Busch at Watkins Glen last year, brought him on, brought um Freddie on the next. So you go, Hey, so what happened out there? So like stuff like that, but it's, I don't know, it's definitely the ultimate industry insider. So you got to know NASCAR well to listen. I think you can listen and still get, if you watch the race, you gotta watch the race too just to hear what they're talking about and my perspective like i come up with the topics they discuss and what we cover on the show and i'm not just going for the oh kevin harvick wins at phoenix i'm not looking for that storyline i'm looking for what did he say about the aero package or what did he say about what he kyle bush did to him halfway through the race like stuff like interesting stuff like that that's debatable and just fun to talk about And so I'm always cheering for guys to wreck, guys to get mad, guys to go off in interviews because that's the content that's interesting. And that's what makes them get hyped up and get to talk about what they're seeing. And especially if people wreck each other or block each other, it's like that's the kind of content. We're just debating. We're talking racing. It's like you're sitting at a bar with your friends just talking about racing. And that's the most interesting kind of conversations you can have about the sport. And they kind of do it recorded as a podcast. And it's really popular and people enjoy it. You want those moments
0: where Kevin Harvick needs to wreck Kyle Mm -hmm. Busch to make the next round play. I mean, you're sitting at home jumping up and down when that happens because you're like, we got something to talk
1: about on the podcast. Like, we got some content here. Yeah, I just write to itself at that point when stuff like that happens. And I'm like, I'm fairly critical about the sport, just like I want more stories and more storylines and stuff to happen. I think more stuff used to happen and it's kind of been diluted. But this year was really good. A lot of stuff happened. But I'm just wanting anything, like anything interesting, any guy, especially interviews, like or on the radio too. That's become really popular. A lot of people tweet radio comments out now during the race. And hearing these guys blow up at each other during the race, it's like that's as, enter- that's as entertaining as it gets. And I love that stuff. I think the value of
0: podcasts like that, especially uh, Door Bumper Clear, mm-hmm. is is heightened because uh, in the heyday of NASCAR, you know, in the 90s, the 2000s, there were so many media members that would travel mm-hmm. week to week. I mean, NASCAR has lost a lot of guys like Marty Smith and, and Ryan McGee that used to be at the track every weekend. Mm. And now you, you, you still have Bob Pockris and you still have Jeff Gluck, but it's it's a little different. So the stories that used to be out on the front page of the sports section every week mm. are kind of buried now. Mm. Uh, and so that insider, the industry insider podcast that uh, Dirty Mo Media provides is really fascinating to a consumer like me because you, you just don't know those stories anymore because there's mm. less people reporting on them. Yeah. Mm. Is that something that you're kind of aware of when you're producing the show is like we're putting out information that or we're hinting at information Mm. that really nobody knows about because of just all the talk that goes in amongst the
1: NASCAR group Mm. that travels track to track every week for about 38 weeks a year. Mm. So I definitely that's definitely kind of the goal of the podcast to bring information out like that and create the different. Stories and create different conversations about things that people may have not seen during the race that happened or just like behind the scenes kind of elements like that. So the guys are really great about they come with these story like they show up and they have these points they want to hit they have these things that happened throughout the race weekend that they noted and that they have, you know, their unique opinions on from their perspective in the sport. And they kind of bring it, they bring stuff like that. Brett is really good at bringing rumors that maybe or may not be out there and people may or may not want to be out there and say them on the show and 99% of the time they come true. Usually he knows what he's talking about. And, um, so that's kind of the appeal. It's like, Oh, what are they going to talk about? Like, what are they going to break today? And my favorite one was in 2018, the all-star race was going to use restrictor plates as the, um, in the race. And DBC was the first podcast to first media outlet and NASCAR to say that publicly. So that was really cool. And Brett just kind of, I think they just talk about things sometimes they don't realize they're breaking news. They just talk about things they've heard from their teams because they work directly with the team. So like they know what's going on in the sport. So when stuff like that breaks and I'm just sitting there like, Oh really? That's, that's interesting. That's going to be a headline. We're going to get some clicks from that, but that's like, they just bring stuff like that. And that's what makes it show. It's not just like reporters reporting on, you know, just the general news that people usually are aware of it's these guys bringing in this information that's not out there. That's not publicly known and putting on the podcast and delivering that to the audience. And this got to be fun for you because you're still a fan of the sport. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you kind of get this inside information a couple weeks early. It's like you, mm-hmm. it's, you don't even have to pay the extra dollars um, for like a subscription to the athletic mm-hmm. or something. You just kind of hear it through the grapevine almost. Mm-hmm. What are the stuff that you're kind of hearing now in the off season that's kind of trickling around, especially about this next gen car that's going to come Mm -hmm. out, not this year where it's scheduled to be, but because
1: of them, gets pushed back to 2022. Yeah, there's definitely, it's been kind of quiet off season. I think people are just based on how much change this year, they're expecting more change like that next year. So I don't think anyone wants to say anything too certain what's going to happen. Um, the most interesting thing that came out already was that Fontana's not having a race next year. They're going to race to the Dayton Road Course, which kind of sucks. But it does sound like Fontana is still going to get another race on their two mile track next year before they reimagine it and make it a short track, which I'm very excited about. But that's probably the only news that's really come out this year. The next gen cars, a lot of testing going on. So it's really interesting to see that. There's just like, it just seems like it's the same test over and over again. They're not really, there's nothing new coming out of it. It just is exciting that it's a new car and they know, kind of know what kind of racing they want to create. And that they're going to try to build this car to make, create that really entertaining racing. So I haven't really heard too much details about what's going to happen. I think they got to have a test when they have, you know, multiple cars running together to really, I think, determine some of that, how it's all going to play out. And hopefully that stuff starts happening in this coming year. And by the time, you know, a year from now, we're like super hyped up cause we are expecting this new car to create this really close competitive racing that we maybe been lacking for a bunch of years. And that could reassert um, itself with this new car on the, new, on the track starting in 2022. It's funny how NASCAR, the fan community kind
0: of operates. A lot of times NASCAR will bring in a change and it's universally panned everybody mm-hmm. hates it you get about 10 years further away and all of a sudden people just it's NASCAR just runs off this nostalgia factor that mm-hmm. no other sport has i mean maybe the NBA the NBA does really good job bringing back retro jerseys mm-hmm. and and fans eat that up and they buy you know the Utah Jazz purple mountain jerseys stuff like that mm-hmm. but NASCAR lives off of this Nostalgia period, um, the racing that was provided uh, in the '90s, the 2000s, it's seen as the peak. Then NASCAR brings in the car tomorrow, and everybody hates it. Everybody hates it. It's the worst thing to ever happen to the sport. And it's funny because NASCAR they do, they started doing this this year, which I love. They started reproducing classic races on YouTube, uh, and I go back and I watch some of them. And one of them was uh it was 2008 at kansas it was a race where carl edwards just Mm. drove past jimmy in the final corner and i remember watching that race that was crazy uh and it was interesting because i go i read the comments because i'm just interested to see kind of what the chatter is and everybody's talking about man that car tomorrow you know those were the days you know, this looked pretty sporty. You know, I missed the wing and stuff. And it's it's interesting because this next-gen car is going to come out. And I wonder if the fan response is going to be tepid like it normally is to mm. change. And there's a lot of change going on in the sport. I mean, it certainly isn't your 2005 NASCAR Nextel mm. Cup Series anymore. And for me, I started watching in 2007.
1: I mean, are you happy with the direction that the sport is going now? I, I think, think there's been... been- Last few years, there's been a lot of important changes that have taken place to make it more, um, to make it kind of sustainable moving forward. A lot of new leadership in NASCAR. A lot of things are happening within sport. The schedule changing for the first time, like a major schedule change for the first time in, I don't know since when. Like that was a good sign. The idea of bringing a new car is really exciting because the competition has been lackluster in the Cup Series for a bunch of years now, and it's it's like there's good moments but it's just not the quality competitive action we're used to seeing throughout the year and I think I don't know there's been it's been a while since we've kind of had a full year of really good competition I think if you look to the Xfinity series this year it's been the competition was phenomenal there were so many things happening and I think that a lot that has to do with the car and the drivers and the aero package and the young guys and a lot of chatter about that series this year was like there's no respect on the track everyone's just like cutthroat i gotta win get out of my way and that's what makes it exciting i think that's what the cup series probably had for a while and that's what kind of drove its rise in popularity early uh 2000 late 90s and i think nascar realizes realizes what is going to make the sport succeed and grow again now more than they have in the last few years i think they've got a better understanding of how to steer it in that direction and what kind of content or what kind of entertainment racing to create to create entertainment to create content to create news and noteworthy things and storylines and so i'm more optimistic now than i probably was last year based on the things that have happened this year especially it was a crazy year for nascar but they did a lot of things that were interesting and new and schedule changes and midweek races and just shaking things up and i think From that perspective, a lot of things are happening and growing, and hopefully they start paying off in the next five or so years. But this new car, a lot rides on it. Like this has got to be, it's got to produce good racing. It's got to be entertaining. It's got to bring back some of that on edge racing where it's the best whoever can wheel the car the best is going to win versus whoever can get the best draft on the straightaway. Like that is going to be critical to if NASCAR can sustain itself for the next you know half decade or for the next. Decade or two. So that is going to be interesting because next year it's kind of be their year to shape it. And then hopefully in 2022, it delivers.
0: You heard Roger Penske say that this car, just echoing the point that you made, and I think mm. everybody around the sport kind of feels this sense of like internal pressure like this, this has to go. Mm. This has to make it. Uh, Roger Penske said the future of the sport depends on the car if it succeeds. I want to know how confident are you Mm. because I go back I watch a lot of races from NASCAR's heyday and it's it's the heyday for a reason I mean the racing product is fantastic Mm. there's a lot of as we describe it comers and goers which Mm. is guy leads for a portion of the race he'll drop back another guy who started 30th will end up making the right changes on his car. He'll come to the front of the field. Mm. It's not the same five guys. They qualify spots one through five, and then they run spots Mm. one through five with some intermittent changes, and Mm. then the checkered flag flies. That's kind of what the sport has felt like in this Gen 6 era. Are you confident that NASCAR sees these races from the Winston Cup and the Nextel Cup era, and they say, okay, this is our model, right? This is where we have to make these cars race Mm in terms of they can race side by side, and the car on the inside won't wreck, Mm -hmm. um, which is a huge problem with the Gen 6 cars. And they can race bumper to bumper, and you can get a guy loose in front of you, which, you know, for 50 years was the way to pass in stock car racing, you'd either use the bumper or you get the air compressed right on the back of the car. And you could loosen the car up in front of you and drive on by you didn't have to use a bunch of air games or momentum Mm. and stuff. And I don't think fans kind of relate to that. They want to see the drivers use their skills to get to the front. Mm. Certainly, I think that has kind of got to be the way that NASCAR shapes this next-gen car, Mm. right?
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree with all that. And I do watch a lot of races from back in the day. Mainly, I like to watch to see how they, the sport was covered from media perspective and how it's changed so much and why it was so good back then. And then watching some of the racing. I'm like, yeah, this is just quality racing. And I think a lot of it has to do with technology, which we can't really go backwards in technology. I think having less technology back in those days, or they had technology, but it wasn't you know what we have today, it was a lot like they could do race was a lot different because of the lack of technology, the lack of all this data that can tell you how to race and all this kind of stuff. So um, I think NASCAR is probably in between on uh, knowing that that's, the racing was best and that's what attracted the most audience and most people pay attention because the racing was quality and a lot of stuff happened and knowing where the sport is today with technology and all the stuff that they've got to deal with And it's really like all the teams are super even, super competitive, and it's hard to get everyone caught up the same page because once you catch everyone up, then this other team finds another advantage and they pull ahead. And that kind of stuff happened throughout NASCAR's history, but it seemed to be more even back in the day and it was more competitive no matter what. Like everyone could kind of figure out maybe different things and they could all kind of get that advantage. But I would hope NASCAR would look at the racing from the days when it was good and say, and just kind of pick out the things that we want to see this, this, and this happen. And to do that, we need to do this, this, and this with this new car. And I would hope NASCAR listens a lot to the drivers because I think they probably know best what kind of racing to create, how to create it and how to put it on the best show. Of course they all want what benefits them, but I think they can agree that the aero package that has, been on the mile and a half for the last few years that doesn't really seem to no one no one really seems to be very positive about it because it doesn't create the best racing and it's not the kind of race it's not the racing that the sport was kind of built on and it's changed and it's trying to create you know crazy restarts which it does but then the rest of the you know race kind of falls off so i hope i think nascar realizes it. i hope they are I, don't know, I just hope they're trying to shape the racing based on the best, which I think they have been for the last five years. They've been trying to shape it based on what they saw before that's worked and wanted to do it again. But now with a new car, they can completely rebuild it and hopefully they can rebuild the product that really captured the whole nation's attention and when it was uh, most successful back in 15, 20 years ago.
0: What's a race that you go back, you watch, not only from the racing perspective, mm-hmm. but from how the sport was covered? when the grandstands were filled and millions were watching on TV, there you go. That's, that's what we need to get back to. Yeah. That's the race.
1: There's a lot of them. I've, I like to watch the Daytona 500s just from early two thousands to through 2000, like 2007, 2008. Yeah. Um, I remember you said that 2007 Daytona 500 was your first race and that is probably the best Daytona 500 ever. Yeah, no. with racing and quality and just watching the pre-race and just how big and important the sport felt and how much attention they knew was on it and they put um, that attention to it. And that kind of goes along with the Indianapolis races. The Brickyard 400 was this huge race and it's completely not what that is anymore. But like I watch these broadcasts, even if qualifying for in the Brickyard 400s, I'm like, how did this? Ha- how did this get created in the first place? And then how did it fall apart so easily? And just like being in awe i went to the indy 500 last year and i was just like it was like this is incredible this place is incredible this track's incredible this race is incredible i cannot imagine what it must have been like for a nascar race here and how big and important it must have felt and and the racing like Indy, i think was ever great but it was like it's indy it's a very special and unique and it's just the track and it's the history and all that stuff and i watched some of those broadcasts and just think like 250,000 people showed up to an Indy Brickyard 400 and now like the last year I guess last year when they had fans there 10, 15,000 people showed up I'm like how did like this is the model like how you created this you got to create this at more tracks and I like to watch all all star races, Charlotte Motor Speedway races too because that was the it, like the birthplace the mecca of NASCAR in Charlotte North Carolina and people were like just flocking to it because that's the home in NASCAR, and they put on these big shows, and it was a mile and a half racing, and it was good, and people loved it, and they came to it, and it was just it was really entertaining. I'm like, how did that? Like, what happened? So that's the kind of stuff I look back on and just to just to see how it was covered, and see what was talked about, and see what kind of things they're doing differently today, and how they can maybe um, relate back to some of that stuff to hopefully improve what today looks like compared to what it used to.
0: Did you ever get to go to a race?
1: Uh, during those times and kind of experience that feeling firsthand? So I did go to races then. I don't remember too much. I went to Dover in 2005, the fall Dover race, my first NASCAR race ever. I do remember very vividly that race and like just seeing how many, like knowing there's a lot of people there and there's like huge crowds. I remember that kind of stuff. I went to New Hampshire was my second race in 2006. And that was always a big sellout and a big crowd. And um, I remember some of that. So the
0: first race that I went to, I attended, was actually, it's in, it's in your backyard now, is at a formerly known Lowe's Motor Speedway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the fall of 2007. It was a race that ended up being won uh, by Jeff Gordon. I didn't get to see it because my parents uh, really wanted to beat the traffic, mm-hmm. which I, I'll never let them lift down, <laughs> ever. I said, we were still yeah. talking about that a couple of nights ago, just how pissed off I was about it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I remember... They're on the highway leading into uh, Lowe's motor speedway. People would just get out of their cars mm. and start walking to the track because there was so much traffic. Those were back in the days when the entire front stretch as in a mile and a half track, which is a lot mm. of seats, the entire front stretch packed turn three mm. had a few empty seats, but turn two, you remember there used to be mm. a giant grandstand in turn two, all filled. Mm. And it was this like Super Bowl like atmosphere yeah. every week. Yeah, and I felt like really? I felt like the fans had a sense of there was just a lot more partisanship in in the stands. Where mm. there was a there was a moment I was getting up to go get a snack. I was walking up the stairs. Uh, we were sitting right by the uh, the stripe uh, on the front stretch, and Jimmy Johnson spins out. And this is the era when Johnson is just dominating everybody. He's on his way to a second title and then would win three more titles and for a total of five in a row. And Jimmy Johnson spins out. The entire crowd goes crazy. I mean, they are so happy that Jimmy Johnson just crashed. Um, and it was it was amazing. I don't feel like that feeling kind of exists yeah. in the sport anymore.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It just seemed like everything seemed bigger and more important, and there was just so much more invested in it. And that's, and I don't know how to get back there, but I just do like there was that feeling of things like that happening and just moments like that, and just the fans being more invested into it. And I think when there's like that's like you were saying, a Super Bowl atmosphere, when it's like that, when people feel that and they're invested and in, they're into that, like that's everything seems huge and seems important. And I think the crowd definitely played a factor in like, there's so many people there. So like, it just feels like you're at something really special and trying to bring that special back. Even though like the Daytona 500 recently, love the race every year, but it just does like that from watching on TV, it just doesn't feel that, as special as it once did. And I don't know what is not there, but it's just something and I want it to come back. And I think this year they had like the pre-race this year's was huge and it was seemed yeah. different than usual. And that was really cool. And I think that kind of, I don't know, showed some of that, but there's just, you know, there's something missing. It's hard to put your thumb on it, what exactly it is. But yes, those moments of being at the track. And I think you just need more people invested in, I don't want the driver. I think it also has to do with drivers. Like there's so many drivers that retired recently and so many new names have come in and people are not as invested and don't know these guys as well. So it's hard to like get really Emotionally attached to what's happening because you just are not as familiar. And I think once those guys start building their brands up more and getting more popular and gaining more experience, maybe we'll see some of that again because it's like these, they're more confident in themselves and they make these moments and they're in these moments and the fans know them and we can create that kind of like pot of everything that needs to happen to be able to kind of like create that atmosphere again. I think I, I totally
0: agree with your point on the Daytona 500. Mm. The thing that has kind of taken away from the 500 for me is 2007, I go back and I say, this is the gold standard of Day mm. 500s to me personally. Just the race felt big. The driver names, the guys that dominated the race, mm. you had champions like Stewart, Kurt Bush, Dale Jr. was up front. It was just, I mean, the cars were bright. I remember you had the bright red bud car, the bright blue Miller light car, you had Jeff Burton in the, in the singular car. It was just, everything was very vibrant about that day, that race. One thing though, is that people say, you know, there, there was this attitude that guys raced harder back in the day. Mm -hmm. I would say they did race harder, but they raced a lot smarter. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there was a big crash on the last lap, but for most of the day, these guys, they bounced off of one another. But for the most part, this pack of 43 cars stayed intact until mm. the last lap. There were a couple of minor crashes. There's nothing huge. I think mm. the issue with the 500 for me personally is it has just become a wreck fest. Mm. Uh, ever since 2016 was probably the last race that wasn't mm-hmm. just a total mess. Ever since then, it's become like a survival. Yeah, a survival race it's just mm-hmm. become an elimination race i mean even this past year there's multiple wrecks that just start cleaning out yeah. guys and and you get to the end of the race which is supposed to be this culmination of this entire 500 yeah. mile race and it just gets slowed down repeatedly by mm-hmm. wrecks and then you get to the last lap and i think it's like three out of the last four years the guy leading the race has mm-hmm. gotten taken out and it yeah. just it's it just doesn't seem it just doesn't seem very, uh, I guess, traditional. I, that's yeah. not the right word for it, but it would be like Tiger Woods on the 18th hole at the Masters and someone runs up with the golf clubs and takes his kneecaps out. And it just kind of takes away from the hole. Yeah. It's 499 miles if you're just going to dump the leader at the yeah. end. Not saying that Ryan Blaney dumped Ryan Newman, I don't mm. think that was his intention. I do think that's Austin Dillon's intention mm-hmm. in 2018, but I think for me, that's kind of what is taken away from the five yeah. It's just, you don't know who's going to win the race and it's not an exciting thing because it's just, you don't feel like the winner really deserved it anymore. Mm.
1: No, I, th- I feel that. I think the, 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 all the wrecks, like I love the super speedway racing of today. I love how close it is and competitive it is and how runs you can get runs and draft. Like I just, I think it's NASCAR's finally got something right with that. Like they, I think the last decade, they've gone through so many different variations of that, how they want the super speedway races to play out. And I think they finally found something that's really entertaining, but then the downside is everyone wrecks and that's the problem. So yeah, I think that's probably exactly what the 500 has a lot of now is a lot of wrecks and it's a lot of guys taken out. And it's a lot of just like this, craziness that you don't necessarily need for this race it's already a high standard race like you don't need all this drama from all these wrecks to really play into it like maybe one wreck that kind of changes everything like that's typical that's expect that's been around for the last 30 years but like a lot of wrecks and just kind of it's just like a bunch of silliness it's like the super bowl ending and like a really weird trick play and they're just trying and they maybe get to like the five yard line and they don't score the touchdown and it's like like it's just such a weird way to for this game to go it should it's like the biggest of the biggest events it should go not i'm saying it should go a certain way but you just kind of have thoughts on how it should play out and just a bunch of wackiness is not necessarily how you expect it to play out and i don't know i think it's definitely the arrow package and being able to create all these wrecks and guys going for it so hard and it's like you wish and i think some guys have figured this out how about we just ride at the back the whole race until all the wrecks play out and then go to the front. And I think that's the strategy that seems to win. Denny Hillman's done that for a bunch of years now. Like that's how he does it. He does not really go up front to race all day. He just kind of waits around and gets up front and gets the job done. So I think once guys realize that we're not going to win the race on lap 50, so how about we just race a little more calmly. And I think that maybe could restore some of that, you know, feeling we usually have come to known for that race and then slack for a few years. So we spend a lot of time on this podcast
0: kind of talking about reminiscing almost the good old days, good old days, you know? Uh, But ultimately we remain watching the sport Mm. for, you know, different reasons, similar reasons. A lot of NASCAR fans still watch the sport because they get a sense of entertainment from Mm. it. Let's talk about something that we can look to for the future, some positives from what the sport can build on. So In terms of how NASCAR can kind of maybe not get back to when it was a a fad Mm -hmm. in the mid-2000s, but just kind of the respectability it had in the 90s um, on network and broadcast television uh, and the grandstands were filled and and stuff like that, what are the things that NASCAR can look to build on with its current setup today from the drivers to the tracks um, and just kind of the overall feel of the sport?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that could relate to that. Um, you mentioned the tracks, and I think one big thing about tracks is they need to, they used to do this. They promote, like how they promote their races, how they get people, especially local market people to come to the race. I think tracks have relied too much on social media to try to get people to come to the race. And while social media is a great tool, it probably does work to get people to come to the race you got to go out to the streets and tell people, Hey, there's a race in town, like come experience this. And I think promoting the experience of the race and promoting the atmosphere and how great fun it is. And especially to college students like you, and how, like in the last four years spent in college, like, I'm like all these people don't care about NASCAR. They don't like know much about NASCAR, but if you told them, it's like, it's just a big party at a racetrack and you could see a sporting event. Like they would show it. up and I'm like, How about we like getting like if we're going to tap into new audiences like that, you got to get people to the track first. And if you kind of get them to the track by encouraging them to come to experience it, I think that's a big thing. And tracks can promote that a little bit more and go tell people about it, not just tweet it out or put it on TV. But like go tell people like this is what you can come experience. I think that's a big part of it. Driver personality is a big part of it. There's been such a shift in driver personalities from all the big names retiring. Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., Jim Johnson, Dan Patrick, Carl Edwards, like all the drivers that had the biggest personalities kind of left the sport all in the same time. And that really hurt. And all these young guys are coming in and they have a lot of potential, but they need to be build their brands up a lot more. And Bubba Wallace is probably, I think he like he's a real authentic, great driver, great guy. And he knows, he's familiar with the marketing and how it, all the works and how to build his brand. He's done a great job. I think he's one of, he's a, growing personality in the sports. Ryan Bellini, I think has a lot of potential. I think he's got to come out of his shell a little bit. I think Penske may keep him in his shell a little bit, but he's really cool. And I think he's got a lot of potential to be someone. We're losing Clint Boyer too. And that sucks because he was the wildest, most authentic, say whatever is on his mind. So I think that's like people are drawn to sports in general because of the compelling personalities of the athletes. And you need to, these athletes need to have compelling personalities and a lot of the corporate driven NASCAR racing that's occurred in the last decade has kind of shied guys away from personalities. I think they're starting to kind of show some more personality and I think they realize the importance of it. Like Kyle Busch has been always shown personality, but like, I think he understands like, I'm just going to be authentically me. And that's how I want to portray myself. And I think that's how people are going to become fans of me. And I think all drivers kind of need that perspective and then people latch on to them. I think that's, super important and then if so if tracks are working on promoting the races better and getting people to come drivers are working on their brands and trying to be these um big names and i just think back to like when we started watching nascar maybe a little bit before you but like rusty wallace sterling on like these guys kenny wallace you say their names and like you, there's something attached to them like that's authentically this person And I think that's what drivers really need to focus on, trying to grab something that becomes authentically them today. So if they're doing that and the NASCAR just needs to put on a good product, and I think they're working on getting that better. I don't think this coming season is going to be much different than last season, but this new car, it's all, like we said, riding on it. Like If you're putting on a brand new product that's entertaining and kind of back to what a lot of people expect NASCAR racing to be like, I think that's the combination of three different things that could really elevate the sport in the coming years. I'll say a couple more
0: positive things that I love about the future of the sport. First and foremost, it's got to be the rise of Bubble Wallace and mm-hmm. his future with his new race team, Twenty Three Eleven Racing, with mm-hmm. Denny Hamlin. That's huge. And Michael Jordan, because I think that solves two. Well, it solves three huge problems. Number one, Bubble Wallace. Uh, you know this. I know this. Not a lot of people know this because they go, oh, Bubba can't win, you know? Well, first off, he drives for petty motorsports. They haven't mm-hmm. won anything since the 70s. So, I mean, start there. Second, Bubba Wallace, when he started out in the K&N, what well, was formerly known as the k Pro Series, was, was dominant. I mean, he was good. He was in the Joe Gibbs Racing development program, and he would routinely outrun guys like Corey LaJoy, who in my opinion is another guy who needs a better mm. shot. Uh Chase Elliott was also in there, Ryan Blaney <laughs> was in there. It's like this 2011-2012 KN touring series is like a who's who of the future mm. of NASCAR. And now he's in a position where he's with a team that is run by one of the best drivers in the sport today mm. and Michael Jordan, you know, who needs yeah. no further explanation. The other thing that that team solves, the other issue that team solves is all of the core team owners are really old, really old. And eventually NASCAR is going to have a small issue where these guys aren't going to be able to manage their teams anymore. And I'm talking about guys like Roger Penske, Rick Hendrick, Jack Roush, uh, and Joe Gibbs, where they've just gotten so up there in years. Um, And especially, I don't know kind of what the succession is. Uh, for Joe Gibbs, because it was going to be his son JD, and then JD tragically passed away a couple of years ago, and so now you, when you start injecting new teams into the sport, you get this positive momentum that people want to buy into this product.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the the I, I was I've been calling the twenty three eleven racing. Team development is probably the most exciting thing that's happened in the last decade for NASCAR. Like, this is huge. It's going to drive interest in the sport. It's bringing a lot of, like, Bubba just as a personality. Becoming mainstream this year was huge and it's like we've known Bubba like you were saying we've seen him race all these years we've known him we know how great of a personality he is we know how great of a guy he is we know how much potential he has if he's in a good opportunity and he finally has that and that's gonna be really exciting to see and all like all these years you kind of expected him to ha- get a lot of sponsorship interest because he has a really diverse audience that follows him and you would think that'd be very interesting for sponsors coming to NASCAR and finally he gets that and he has this funding that's gonna be able to allow him to show his potential on the track. So that's super exciting. And that is probably, um, that's the most exciting thing that's going to happen in the next probably five years for NASCAR to see this team develop and see Michael Jordan's involvement and see Denny Hamlin become a team owner. And it's probably the first person since Dale Earnhardt to kind of race and be a team owner. So like that was, that was exciting 20 years ago. And now it's kind of happening again. So that'll be really awesome to see. And, I'm hesitant to see all the people saying how much Bubba sucks because in the first five races next year, he doesn't want to race. Like watch this team grow and develop. It's not going to be great out of the start, but like they're Joe Gibbs racing back until you're back. So there's a lot of potential in the next decade for this team to really change the face of NASCAR. And I think it's going to bring a lot of interest and it's going to be really good.
0: I think the other part that uh, NASCAR Fans should be excited about for the future of the sport is is ultimately these guys that have these great personalities like Mm. Blaney and and Chase and Bubba, um, even guys like Daniel Suarez. Mm. Eventually, they're going to start taking over. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of saw that this year because this was a huge step for that whole NASCAR youth movement. They've been looking to take over for the Mm. last four years. Uh, It started kind of in an era with Joey Logano, uh, and now he's like a veteran, uh, but guys like Eric Jones, and they've come in, and they've largely disappointed. So it was a really huge moment for Chase Elliott to win the championship mm-hmm. this year because it kind of validated, hey, these guys can actually run Yeah, with Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr.,
1: Yeah, I think that's one big thing NASCAR can't control is who's succeeding. It's kind of whoever happens to succeed, succeeds. And NASCAR wants these young guys to succeed more than anything else because they know that's going to drive the interest in the sport and get young people excited about the sport. And it's way different than every other pro sport like the NFL. They're stars right now. Of course, you've got some aging quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger who are still, you know, the stars from the last 15 or so years. But you have got Patrick Mahomes and Sean Watson and all these really exciting young quarterbacks coming in that are making the game really fun to watch. And that's what these young guys will do for NASCAR. But NASCAR is so much about experience and how much time you've been in the sport. And usually the older guys tend to succeed. And that's what we've seen Kevin Harvick winning how many races he won this year, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. Like these are the guys that are kind of Kings of the sport right now. you see Chase Elliott being the first guy to really mix it up and Logano. I guess he's kind of in between. He's young, but he's still old, but he's also been kind of in the mix. And eventually these young guys will start, growing into being the guys that are dominating more and winning more. And that's, what will kind of help NASCAR out because that's what the other sports are experiencing and how the youth, youth success drives interest in NASCAR is going to be a little slower to get there. But once they get there, that'll be really cool too. So speaking of Kevin Harvick,
0: he has nine wins in 2020 as one of the most dominant seasons that I can remember. He doesn't win the championship. He doesn't even make the championship race. It was a shocking moment because we thought, you know, kind of the way that NASCAR has designed the playoffs with how you run in the regular season, especially if you run as well as Kevin Harvick should pretty much lock you in to those final four spots. And he ends up having a couple bad races in a row. He doesn't perform at the right time, which is, you know, how you win championships. He goes down as one of the best seasons ever to not win a title but I do want to talk to you uh, and let's discuss what are the other seasons and let's rank the top five seasons from drivers that didn't end up with the cup championship that should have
1: very, it's a great question because there's just so many that are, these are like unknown stories of drivers that have done this for years. So I had to do a lot of research because I'm not very good at remembering stats and stuff. So I'll read off the five I have, and then we can discuss and you can read off some of the ones you have. Okay. Um, I've got Kevin Harvick on my list like it's going to go down as that one of the biggest ones ever. It's hard to rank these. Cause it's like, you don't know from being like in the moment, I would say Harwick is probably one of the top two, but it's hard to say. So give me I've number got, Give me number, number five. five. All right. I'll start off. Carl Edwards in 2008 won nine races that year and then yeah. did not win the championship. And that was one of, I think his best year of his career. So that's my number five.
0: Yeah. For number five, I had Mark Martin in 1998. And that was a season where Mark had run probably as good as he had ever run in his career. And it was just a moment where it's almost like you compare it to basketball where some guys have career years and they just happen to run into Michael Jordan. Mm. And, and that was at the time, the Michael Jordan of NASCAR was Jeff Gordon, went 13 races went on a stretch of where he won seven out of 10 races. I mean, this was a, a time where him and Ray Everham were just clicking and, mm-hmm. He ended up winning, as I mentioned, 13 races, kind of ran away with the championship later in the season. That's who I had at number five. I like Edwards in 2008 because that's another guy, won a ton of races mm-hmm. in 2009, uh, or 2008 rather, and it kind of got taken out uh, in back-to-back weeks where he gets wrecked at Talladega and then has an engine failure at Charlotte and also just kind of happens to run into michael jordan again in the form of jimmy johnson
1: you know yeah. very good point so i had number four jeff gordon 2007 so he had two finishes outside the top 20 that year which is crazy consistent had four wins and then 30 top 10s which at that time was the most of any non-champion ever in the sport so that was like that's a crazy stat to be that consistent and then come up short of the championship yeah. And he ends up running
0: into Jimmy Johnson. That was, so Edwards runs into Johnson. Mm. Uh, a lot of guys could have ended up with titles uh, in that Jimmy era. If Jimmy wasn't dominant mm. like he was, so that was title two for Jimmy out of mm. five in a row. I had Bill Elliott in 1985. He ends up winning 10 races. He wins 10 of the first 20 races. This was the era where Elliott was so dominant at the play tracks One of these years, I don't know if it was 85, I'm pretty sure it was 85, he goes down two laps at Talladega uh, behind the field, and without the help of cautions, without the help of the free pass, because that didn't exist back then, or wave rounds didn't exist, he literally drives, laps the field, unlaps himself once, drives around, unlaps himself again, drives around, takes the lead, wins the race it has to be one of the most remarkable comebacks in the history of the sport mm-hmm. it's one of those races that i wish i could have attended in person just to see visibly how much faster elliot yeah. was than everybody else that day So that's who i had at number four who's your number three so that was my number three so you still know okay <laughs> perfect so we pretty much summarized elliot's 1985 yeah. i had edwards uh 2008 at number three okay gotcha so g okay. i
1: got a number two Number two, Jeff Gordon in 1996, which of course, either years years before we watched NASCAR. So I had to look up to see what all this was about. So he won 10 races that year and then had 111 point advantage going to the final four races and lost the championship. Like that was, and that was before playoffs. That was like, you kind of built up your whole season and then had so much trouble in the last four races that he lost a major point advantage and lost the championship after winning 10 races after having a dominant year And that must have really stung because he had it and then blew it at the end.
0: You know, another interesting thing about Gordon's 96 season, he loses it to his teammate, Terry Labonte. Uh, But the other part is that could have been four in a row for Gordon because he wins in 95, he wins in 97, he wins in 98. If he wins in 96, he wins four titles in a row and becomes the first NASCAR driver to do that. I had at number two, I had your fourth. I had 2007 oh, Jeff Gordon. The reason I listed this, this high is because of all the reasons you said. So consistent and essentially had this championship snatched from him by one of the greatest runs in the history of the sport. Jimmy Johnson is down in points after Gordon. I mean, this is an amazing chase back when it was just a 10 race. You set the points at the first 10 races. You race all the way to the last race, and the points kind of fall as they may. Jeff Gordon wins back-to-back races at Talladega and Lowe's. Then Jimmy, who's down about 81 points, goes on a tear. He wins Martinsville. Then he goes the next week, he wins Atlanta. Then he goes the next week, he wins at Texas. Then he wins Phoenix. He wins four races in a row and essentially just steals the championship away from Gordon. The reason I had this ranked at number two is I think this really took the wind out of Jeff's sails. I mean, there was a huge, I mean, you and I both remember it because this is around the time we started watching. It was visible Jeff's drop-off the next three years. I mean, he goes from a guy that's continuously contending for wins and championships. He goes winless the next year, and then he wins one race, goes winless again, and so in a span of like three years, he goes from winning six races to only one race. And it was amazing. It just felt like if Gordon had won that title, he maybe goes on a run and, and rolls off, you know, six or seven uh,
1: more good seasons. Yeah, no, that was crazy. Like we don't really get to see peak Jeff Gordon. And it's like he, oh, like, he was good, but he just, in our era, he just wasn't like the Jeff Gordon that he was of old. And yeah, that was really interesting. And I like, the order of this was really hard to determine. So I've, I could either like, they, these could go in any order. There's kind of happened to be the top five but I really do think Kevin Harvick's probably going to be number one just because he had a, such a big dominant year and he was in a position to easily make the championship race and then lost it and then didn't get to compete for the championship that he had earned all year long. So that was probably the biggest letdown for him. and And it's the format really influences it, but like he had such a big advantage, all those playoff points and then just kind of, couldn't get there even though he had 40 plus points going into the race so that was that's probably why that'll probably go down as one of the biggest ever
0: i also had harvick 2020 season at number one and the reason is i think maybe a little bit of recency bias from us but yeah. i think you know you look at it statistically he led a person the percentage of laps that he led i believe is higher than any percentage of laps led by any driver in the modern era i mean When he wasn't winning the race, he was always the top one or two or on a bad day, the third most dominant car that day. Mm. And it just felt like you could not stop this guy from winning races. I mean, he would find a way either to just dominate you or he would be able to just kind of sneak his way past like at Bristol. He goes, he passes Kyle Busch. And I felt like that was Kyle Busch's race to lose. Mm. He ends up taking it. It was shocking down the stretch that he ends up not even making the championship race, Mm -hmm. which we all felt like it was so set up for Harvick because Phoenix, the championship race, that's where he dominates. Mm -hmm. That's where he wins all the time. He should have won. uh, Or he did win the race earlier this year or no, he didn't. He should have won. He -hmm. lost to Joey Logano on a late race restart, but he's dominated at Phoenix. Yeah. I wonder, I do want to kind of ask you about that. A lot of people, around the sport were were pissed that Mm. Harvick didn't have the chance that uh, to compete for the title Mm. Uh, that he was so dominant and he was kind of denied the shot to compete for the title by the format. Did your thoughts about this playoff format change after Harvick didn't make the final four?
1: No, I don't think so. I have loved this playoff format from its first year. I thought that 2014 playoffs was so entertaining there's so like the fights and the drama like i was like yeah like this is exactly what nascar needs it needs close competitive playoffs throughout and then a championship race with four guys going for it i'm like this is unbelievable and i still think it's that way i still love it the only thing i want changed mainly from the playoffs is for playoff points to stop being such a big factor i think you get those playoff points from the um what you accumulate in regular season you get in the first round kind of like a buy if you have enough to get through you get a buy. and Then you go in the next three rounds and you have to compete for the championship. I think Harvick probably relied too heavily on those playoff point advantage. He had going to that round and then it cost him. Like, I don't think you should give guys that advantage. I think it'll make them race different. And I think it'll keep it closer regardless. And I think that kind of prevents maybe Harvick having to take it easy, not take it easy, but probably take it easier than he would have had he not had a 60 plus points advantage going into the rounds and, I like this format and I think it's whoever earns it. Like you got to perform in the playoffs. You earn your regular season in their regular season, you earn your spot in the playoffs and you get in the playoffs, you go perform and show what you're capable of. And Harvick's team just didn't do that. And they know, they knew that was what they would have to do, but they just didn't capitalize on that. So I'm all, I'm all in on this playoff format. I think it's great. I think it the guy that performed best in the regular season and then turned it the playoffs won the championship. And I think it takes a lot for NASCAR fans to see it see it unfold that way but i don't think is gonna shy away from how they're determining the champion these
0: days so we're coming to the end of the podcast what is the most important thing that you're kind of looking forward to in 2021 uh when nascar gets rolling again in february
1: oh there's lots it was going to be the new car until that got delayed until 2022 so I think the other biggest new thing was it's going to be the new schedule. It's going to be see how these races play out. There's seven road course races, which I think is a little insane. So we'll see if Chase Elliott wins all seven of those and then gets himself a huge advantage in the or a huge win total going to the playoffs. We'll see what happens there. And just seeing how the new tracks play out, and it'll be a little exciting to see get to go to new tracks. and And the second most exciting thing is going to be seeing some um seeing kyle larson in the five car i think that's a winning combination right there and that'll be huge for the sport huge for him and then all the attention on bubba and that 23 team is going to be really exciting to see so that is like those three very i think a lot of this coming past year we didn't really get a lot of exciting storyline going into the season but this next year we have a lot of exciting story on going the season so that will be what i'm looking forward to and seeing how it plays out
0: oh i'm so excited jason Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I had a blast talking racing. I, yeah. I love talking racing with anybody, but it's
1: been really great to have you on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. You're a really good job. And I will send your resume along to Dirty Mile Radio. So if you ever need another podcast host, we will come to California and find you and get you, get you on the radio. Bring Junior out to San Jose. Yeah, yeah. we'll just send Dale out. And be like, Dale, you got a really important business meeting. You got to go out to California. <laughs> You meet with this guy. Dale, we just
0: got a new couch. It's really, (laughs) really comfortable. Uh, You'll enjoy it.